This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. I, I led with the chin on that one and got what I deserved. Scott Owen. There's a mute button, people, don't worry. And Adam Pace. <laughs> it's good to see that you're listening. Starting now. Well, who says the men's international breaks have to be quiet newsworthy? He was in Australian football, and boy, that was a great start to this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Hello, everyone. James back in the hosting chair, and apparently I'm a little bit rusty after a week off. And, uh, well, we've got quite a lot to cover between A-League women's matches out at Ballymore, national team action for the Socceroos, and also to see little matter of the start of the National Second Division announcements. I'm really hoping that espresso will kick in very, very soon. In the meantime, I'm going to go over to Scott. Uh, you didn't quite get your uh, football manager club into the National Second Division, did you? I tried really, really hard to get them in. Unfortunately, they didn't make it, but they'll get in next time. The Acacia Ridge Spartans will be in in 2025. I can guarantee you that, James. And that was a very Sunday show intro. Are you trying to take my job or something? Yeah, pretty much, actually. I'm, I'm staging a uh, palace coup on just all things Brisbane Football Review and trying to turn this show into 60 minutes of me talking non-stop, which is actually half an hour less than when I'm doing the NPL commentary because I just love the sound of my voice. Adam, you love the sound of your voice. How are you? Oh, I wouldn't say that. I was going to say with that intro, <laughs> it looks like, like you've come off international break. So, But uh, good to have you back and uh, good to... Uh, once again, grace all our listeners. Yes, and I'm sure the uh, celebrations with all of our listeners are wild and whatnot. But anyway, we should probably get on with it. And we will start with the A-League women's action Sunday afternoon out at Ballymore. And well, as much fun as the first home game was for the Raw women at Ballymore, this one, not not as much fun. I think either whether you were there in person or watching on the stream... The Raw went down 1-0 to Western United in Alex Smith's first game in charge. And, well, I know there are some prognosticators on the internet that would love to say, well, this is all doom and gloom, hashtag Smith out. We're not quite ready to push the uh, panic button on that yet. We know what Smith can do in his time with Peninsula Power and also is rated pretty highly down at Melbourne City. But, Adam, it wasn't an ideal debut for the American manager. Uh, look, it, it wasn't as as far as the uh, result go, but I think uh, I think it's a case of uh, with with the change coming in after after week four that that I think it's going to take some time to understand what uh, Alex Smith will bring to the table. There's still is clearly Gareth McPherson's team. It's just a we just have a new, uh, new new manager at the uh, helm at the moment. So I I don't expect much to change at the moment. I think more. Of it was a game where it was one moment, one goal that decides the that side the game. Um, a tenth minute scramble where uh, Car- Carly Johnson actually was officially credited with the goal. I, I swear, I, I thought it was an own goal to be honest. But uh, which uh, which shows sort of you know the the sort of the nature of the scramble in the box. But other than that, um, yeah, it was it was a, it was a good effort by Western United to to hold on to that. But uh, to, to be fair as well, um, other than Mere Corbett and not many, it didn't look like many chances for for, for the Roar. I thought um, Sean Fryer sort of was getting good, making good sort of you know moves down down the left hand side, and uh, also as well, I think Kaya Stephenson actually had a couple of chances that uh, probably should have buried. Yeah, it does 
sort of show that this is still very much a team in development. And again, I'm not you know trying to throw Alex Smith under the bus here, but any time you change a manager in a situation like that, it is going to have some sort of impact on the team. And in this case, it was a little bit of a step back as the adjustment period began, Scott. There was, but I mean, let's, let's be real. How many training sessions did Alex really have with this team to prepare the team for the game? Or two, maybe three training sessions, depending on if they trained briefly on Saturday or not. So minimal preparation time for him to be able to get to know the players and their strengths and also to implement some of the things that he wanted to put into the side. So not a lot of time to do any of that, which is probably why he kept the same structure of the side that Gareth McPherson had the 3-4-3 or 3-5-3-2, whatever you prefer to call it, kept that structure in place for this weekend. Swap the fullbacks around, put Chelsea Blissett over on the left-hand side. She was quite good down the left-hand side, actually, in the first 15, 20 minutes. A lot of the rules of good play did come from that, but he kept the same structure, and he also brought back a couple of the experienced players into the side. Put Tegan Thompson in there at right wing back to have two experienced players in the fullback positions, and also brought Beck Kirk up on to the bench in place of a couple of younger players. So it did what... A lot, of, a lot of people would have expected to go back the experience on early. And once we get the international break, James, I think we might start to see the evolution of what Alex Smith wants to do with this side start to really take place. That's the one thing that will continue to puzzle me, I suppose, over the change in manager in that, you know, you guys covered this last week, didn't you? Yes, we did. Last week? Yes, we did. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I got my days mixed up anyway. Uh, but, yeah, it... It's one of those frustrating things where you made a change for a team that was at the time going along like they were fine, you know, they weren't dominant by any stretch of the imagination, but I would say they were going along pretty comfortably, then you change it. And in a way, the timing of the move almost feels a little bit harsh on Smith, where he's got to come in now and because he's coming in midweek and taking his first training session on the Wednesday before a Sunday game, he's got to be the one to make a lot more of the adaptions and changes in terms of his approach because these players are like they've been doing preseason since I think September from memory is uh, when we were told they started preseason under McPherson so he's the one that's got to come in and sort of make those changes and say all right well I've got to adapt to what these players are used to at least in the short term until I have the time and that could come in the next international break but I do think there were some signs there where the, you know, you can't expect them to have meshed in five days or whatever it was, but where what they'd been doing and what Smith wants them to do hadn't quite meshed up yet. And that's probably going to be the hardest thing of his uh, role for the rest of the season now is getting these players on the same page as him in terms of the playing philosophy and whatnot and, yeah, how that's going to go. In, In this game... Yeah, there just seemed to be a few too many miscommunications as well. And, you know, it was a, some of those issues that did pop up earlier in the season against Wellington and a little bit against the Mariners as well, where just the passes weren't quite sticking and uh, Mia Corbin finding herself isolated a little bit from time to time. It just felt like a reminder that there's now... Whatever, however much work there was to do a week ago, there's a lot more now because you've got a different voice delivering the message. Although maybe the change in voice will be what springs them into action a little bit quicker, but it does feel like it's sort of putting them behind the eight ball, at least in the short term, Adam. Yeah, and I think fans would be crazy to jump off this raw side at the moment. Yes, they are. They are now um, 
they're they're now winless in three. But uh, again, what, what do you what do you expect? Uh, the the change the change was made in head coach, and that's just not going to be an immediate fix. Especially knowing full well that it's only one more game, then an international break. Uh, it, it'd, be, it'd be foolish to think that you know that the miracle or whatever that this coaching change was supposed to you know spark was going to come to fruition. It, you know, instantly, it's going to take time. Like, yes, the playing cast is the same, but uh, but yeah, like I said, it, th- that Alex Smith would have different thoughts and different uh, philosophies of what Gareth McPherson would have had, and this is a coach that had three years with a lot of this squad. So that's going to take time to change. So while while yes, it is a winless, a winless in three now after a good start to the season, uh, to to sort of automatically start jumping off, I think would be you know. Look, the Raw fans are a lot of things at times, you know, and I'm not forward and backward saying that, but I think it'd be very, very foolish to sort of say, oh, it's it's a done deal. I think it's just gonna it's just gonna have to take patience. It's almost like trying to ask the cast of How I Met Your Mother, you know, three seasons into the uh, show's run, to all of a sudden say, all right, you're not doing How I Met Your Mother anymore. You're now doing season eleven of Friends, something like that. You know, it's still a sitcom. But You've been binge-watching every- old TV shows again, James, have you? Yeah, it's how I go to sleep at night, just watching familiar sitcoms or <laughs> just just stuff I can shut my mind off to. But you, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, you're still doing a sitcom, but all of a sudden if you've got Neil Patrick Harris playing Joey instead of Barney, it's a different role and there are different voices as well. So it, it's a bit frustrating, but uh, that is, I feel like, the short-term issue that they're going to have to deal with, Scott. Just on that, I've never wanted to throw something at the television more than the way that that show ended. But that's a story for another day and another just another podcast. But the one thing you talk about next time there's a league shut down for about three months, and we really need to fill. We the just shows. might we just might bring that up. You're right. But with the raw, this is the third straight game in a row, James, where they've conceded a goal from a set piece. I think the um, free kick against Wellington, the corner against the Mariners, now another set piece here against Western United. It might be something they have to look at as well because it's starting to really cost them. It probably cost them two points away. To Central Coast last week, it cost them points here against Western United. It maybe arguably cost them against Wellington as well. So yeah, they may not have played their absolute best. But this is three weeks in a row where they've considered goals from set pieces. That might be something they do have to look at. On the positives, once again, Jordan Silk, which was absolutely sensational in goal, two or three great saves from Hannah Keane, and all around just absolutely spectacular. We've seen just it's amazing how good she is compared to what we had last year in goal from it with Hensley Hancock. This is another level. This is, this is someone who you could look at and genuinely say, she may go straight back to the NWSL and play. As soon as the loan period finishes, she may go back and play. She's in absolutely sensational form, and you have to imagine her American club would be absolutely thrilled with what she's doing out here at the moment. But it's actually, I'm glad you brought up Jordan Silkwood, Scott, because I was going to say, it seems to be the only way anyone can beat her at the moment is for a set piece because of a defensive miscue. Because uh, other than the one goal she, that she conceded um, down at the home of Matildas in week one, it, it's the only times that she's actually been beaten is off a set piece. So, um, and, and not always can you, in, in a set piece error, where we concede, you cannot you cannot always blame the keeper on that. So, so I think. But uh, more more to the point about um, about Jordan is that I think that the two best keepers in the league at the moment um, is that uh, is that. But I think the two best keepers in the league um, were on the pitch of Ballymore on Sunday. I think uh, Hillary Beale. I think she hasn't missed a step since since she claimed the golden. 
the Golden Glove last year, and look, it might be a little bit of you know, your regional bias, but uh, yeah, I think Jordan Silkwood at the moment. She's she's the keeper of the in the league of the league at the moment. Yeah, I, I've been incredibly impressed, and I remember before the season started, we were all trying to work out exactly how that goalkeeper depth chart was going to be shaking out. We were wondering if maybe Silkwoods might be starting on the bench. Would Keely Richards uh, get the first goal, or Bella Shuttleworth, or um, the East keeper whose name Emma Emma Gibbon. Thank, thank you. Apologies for that, but uh, clearly a bit senile today. Um, but yeah, overall, that's that's pretty much what you can ask for. Because I remember again going back to last year. You mentioned Hensley handcuff. I'm pretty sure six or six weeks in, she was the runaway leader for our Player of the Year votes as well. And mm. it's a similar sort of story here from memory as well because. I'm going to use this to tee up the Brisbane Football Review A-League Women's Player of the Year Awards. And since I missed last week, I'm back to giving my votes. And unsurprisingly, I've given three points to Jordan Silkowitz, two points for Mia Corbin, and one point for Sean Fryer. Um, if you are just tuning in for the first time, the Brisbane Football Review Player of the Year is a highly prestigious award. It is, uh, you know, one of the most... Uh, popular ones that the three of us hand out every uh, season. It's <laughs> definitely like top five or something. But um, yeah, each of us give 3-2-1 votes on each senior A-League match for the Brisbane Raw. And one of us reads out the votes on the show, so there's a little bit of mystery heading in to the final rounds. And I guess if we tell people it's prestigious events that will become prestigious, right? If I can even <laughs> say the word right, that'd be, that'd be a good start, wouldn't it? Hey, I'm pretty sure uh, Riku Danzaki um, made sure to take his award home to Japan a couple of years ago. I, th- he, I think he did. Yes. All right. Um, so, before we move on, let's hear from the new coach of the Brisbane Raw, Alex Smith, and what he had to say after the match. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, we started off very well. Um, you know, put away a couple of those chances in the first half, and it's a different game, but... Um, yeah, really, really proud of the girls, the way they've sort of taken everything on board and, and the effort they showed today. It's a new way of playing, so um, it's going to take a little bit of time to get used to, but um, yeah, not the, not the best though, but we're, we're, what we were really looking for, so. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we, we've only had, I've only had two sessions with the girls, really, um, so changing too much too soon is, you know, it's, it's always a challenge, but yeah. Um, the few things we did, we did sort of change. It's uh, you know we saw quite a bit of that in the first half. They just uh, a little bit tired in, in the second half, and um, you know just unfortunate with the goal. And uh, it's how football goes sometimes. Oh look, yeah, it is. It is a bit patchy, but um, you know it, it is what it is. Same for both teams. Um, Holly, uh, you know Holly had a little knock and, and um, still waiting to get a little bit of word about Chelsea. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll look after them as best we can, depending on, you know, on, on what it is. Yeah, yeah, it's been, it's been great. It's been a hectic week, but, um, you know, uh, it'd be nice if uh, we got a, you know, a point or two out of that game, but, um, uh, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's football. And, uh, but yeah, loving being at the club, loving working with the girls. They've been fantastic. So. And that was Alex Smith after the match. Naturally disappointed is, uh, debut didn't quite go the way he was hoping. He's not really used to losing many games here in Queensland as a coach. Just look back at his time at Penn Power in the FQPL1 uh, season when they ran through that competition. But he did bring up something at the end of that interview, Scott, which I think we all really want to tee off about. And that was 
the playing surface at Ballymore following the Oceania Rugby Sevens tournament a week before. Yeah, the game wasn't great, but unfortunately the field wasn't great either. Alex Smith just said there in his post-game press conference that it was even for both sides and it played okay, but you could tell when you got there that the surface was going to be a concern given how bumpy it was, particularly on the near touchline where, where both benches were. It was very, very bumpy and patchy around that part of the field. There's no doubt that the Rugby Sevens James had a big impact on the surface with the big tournament that they had there last weekend. It's something that Ballymore are going to have to really learn to deal with going forward. They want to be that multi-sport venue and become Brisbane's secondary rectangular venue. They're going to have to find a way to deal with the increased traffic from multiple sports over multiple weekends to ensure they've got the playing surface up to standard week in and week out. It's not something they've had to be used to over the years and something they're going to have to really get right if they want to be that secondary rectangular venue here in Brisbane. I know that the playing surface isn't as crucial in rugby games as it is for football, given the ball is on the ground more in football, but the surface was really, really choppy and probably wouldn't have been great for rugby either. So this is something they're going to have to really look at going through is how they ensure that the playing surface is continually up to standard. I mean, Adam and I were out there having a look at it post-game. We were waiting for, to speak to Alex Smith in that interview you heard there, and you could tell it was really, really patchy. And there were a couple, there were a couple of injuries during the game, and I'm not necessarily saying the field had anything to do with those injuries occurring, but it's something that Ballymore really got to look at going forward and how they ensure that the playing surface is maintained because it wasn't at its best on Sunday. Yeah, well, that's the other point as well, where it didn't look great for the Sydney game last month as well. and it's It had looked better of, than it did on Sunday, I can assure yeah, you of that. But but I was going to say, it's had quite a bit of traffic as well, and even just watching on the screen, it, it didn't look great uh, from my perspective as well, which is disappointing. Adam? Yeah, look, uh, I can't. I can't add much more to to uh, what Scott said about the pitch without getting ourselves in defamatory trouble. But uh, but uh, but yeah, look, I feel sorry uh, for injury, especially Chelsea Blissett's injury, uh, a player who has had knee injuries to uh, be to to be uh, caught, to be to be have to. Uh, be cut off, you know, with, with the injury again. Um, look, we don't, we haven't heard officially how bad it is, but I, I wish, I wish her all the best. Uh, and Holly Palmer as well, who's actually also as well, just coming back from an ankle injury as well. I believe this was a knee injury, so it may not be the same. But both players uh, being injured, you never ever want to see that. Uh, and, and yeah, so that's two key players because I do believe both those injuries really sort of um, any any comeback that the Raw had as far as the plan in the second half, uh, especially with the with the game plan perhaps of um, of Tamiki Alp who who was being low managed um, coming on the second half with that with that Holly Palmer injury, I believe that basically um, threw the plan plan out. So that that was a um, that was a tough one to sort of uh, bear, but uh, yeah, for, especially for Chelsea, who has had, um, who had come back from recent season from a uh, ACL injury to, to you know, you know, be on crutches at the end of the game, uh, it's it's not a good sign. I just wish her all the best. Yep, that's pretty much all we can say. And look, the pitch wasn't the reason the raw lost, but if you are wanting to play open, expansive football, you do need a quality pitch. Although yeah, it's not the reason they lost, but it's also when you're playing in a professional league, it needs to be of a certain standard, and I think it was below that standard. Fair enough. Um, yeah, but I, I just have to put that disclaimer there before someone on the internet says, oh, people are blaming the pitch for the Raw's loss. You know how things get taken out of context. Um, anyway, let's go through the takeaways for the rest of the weekend because we do have a fairly hefty topic Uh to get into up next but 
takeaway from the rest of the weekend, Holly McNamara's injury sucks. That's my big takeaway. Um, great moment. And that was uh, turned to a pretty sour moment as well. Melbourne City just confirmed it was a serious injury, which kind of sucks. Adam, what about you? Yeah, that, that's, uh, that was uh, one as well that I, sort of, I, I focused on it last week about uh, Holly McNamara, what a star she is. She won the game for for Melbourne City coming back against Newcastle and then to you know, go down with what looked a very innocuous knee injury. It's it just it just really sucks. But uh, look my takeaway from this week is Central Coast Mariners. Their first uh, their first home win, their new reincarnation and uh, yeah look they um they are looking like um, a force to be reckoned with. I think that they're a very very solid well well coached team and I think yeah I I think uh, watch out Watch out for them. They beat a informed team in Wellington as well. So two, two teams that I don't think we had sort of, you know, really challenging at the moment. They look like that they're certainly uh, going to be fighting out in the finals place at the moment. Yeah, same game as you, James. Other side of the coin, Newcastle Jets. Great to see Emily Van Egmond back in the A-League women's and back at the Newcastle Jets. That's the club she's most synonymous with in this competition. Got on the score sheet as well and might be the catalyst to try and spur Newcastle back up the table where I think the last time Emily played a full season with the Jets they made the finals so maybe she can have the same impact for them again but great to see her back in the competition having an impact from day one for sure alright let's move on because there was a fairly significant announcement yesterday in terms of the National Second Division or National Second League as I'm going to continue to call it until they uh, provide a proper competition you've given, got, given some great ammunition given the announcement yesterday but go ahead <laughs> yes, so the initial eight clubs uh, have been announced. Five from New South Wales. We've got Arpia Leichhardt, Marconi Stallions, Sydney Olympic, Sydney United, and Wollongong Wolves, plus three from South Queen... Sorry, I mean Victoria. Avondale, Preston Lions, and South Brisbane... Uh, sorry, South Melbourne. So, uh, some familiar names there if you've been following football dating back to the 90s, 80s, etc., or you just follow the NPL around the country now, or I think Football Victoria Premier League in the case of Avondale, if I'm correct on that. Yes, they're yeah. in the lower divisions. No, Preston, Preston are. are. Or were Preston, even... Uh... Preston were in the second division, but Avondale were in the top two. Either way, it's five from New South Wales and three from Victoria, and I've seen a lot of stuff about how it's very New South Wales and Victorian-centric at the moment. It's not hard, it's hard to argue it, and it's also not surprising. I think the last couple of teams will probably be from other parts of the country, hopefully, including a couple of teams up here. Maybe James. Yes, so before we get into this too much, um, that was just a partial announcement. Uh, two to four more teams uh, to be added from the rest of Australia in early 2024 with competition starting in 2025. Uh, we've got statements from Brisbane United, Gold Coast United and Sunshine Coast Fire saying that they're still planning on being involved and they'll work with the federations for their potential entry in 2025 in the next round of bidding. And before I turn it over to you guys, because I know you've got a lot to add as well, I just want to say this is why I'm kind of a little bit flat on this announcement. I'm, or maybe not, flat's the wrong word because it is progress. We've been wanting that for a while, but I'm a little bit neutral. I'm not too excited, but I'm also not too angry because it feels like an incomplete. You know, when you hand in two-thirds of an assignment or something at uni and say, I'll get the rest to you in a second, something's gone wrong with my computer. 
for me, this just feels like a partial announcement. Um, I can't get too frustrated at the lack of interstate teams as well because we all know where the money is in the NPL competitions. However, if the remaining teams do come from New South Wales uh, or Victoria, that's when I will really uh, feel it's justified to tee off on the selection process as well. You need to uh, broaden your horizons outside of those two states. And we know there are clubs here that can compete. We know there are going to be clubs down in South Australia that can do it. I'm just not ready to tee off and say, oh, they've botched this because right now we don't have the full picture. Scott? Yeah, it's too soon to say that they've completely botched it, but I do agree with you. If they, if they do add the final two to four teams from New South Wales or Victoria, they have to rename it because it's not a national second division in any way than if it's only in two states. I tend to agree. I think these last two to four spots, if they can make it happen, will be one or two teams up here in South East Queensland. I think they ideally want Brisbane involved, given it's the third biggest city in the country. If you're going to launch a new league, you kind of want to have all the big markets involved in it. I think Adelaide is something they will really want to have a team involved in. You've also got to look at, there was heavy rumours South Hobart were going to be involved in this. I'm not sure that's fully off the table either. Maybe it is, maybe it's not, but I do think these last four teams are where you're going to get the national element of this, James. And you're right, there's plenty of teams out there who can be involved in this. We might talk about the three Queensland bids in a moment, but uh, there's plenty nationwide. If you remember, all the announcements throughout the year, all year long, there were teams from other parts of the country who were well and truly in the frame. It's good to hear that, good to see some of those teams have already come out and said, no, no, we're still in the frame for this. And I think I'm looking forward to seeing who these last four teams are because if there's no one from Queensland, for example, our interest is going to diminish very, very quickly, but I'm confident there'll be at least one of those three teams from Queensland involved. If it were me, I would say give me uh, a Brisbane team, a second Queensland team, be it Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast, Cairns, to, uh, Townsville, whatever. Uh, also could be an Adelaide team. And ideally Perth, but failing that, you've got Hobart, you've got plenty of other areas that could justifiably support a team as well. And yeah, that, that's where I'll be going. Adam, what about you? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm on the same path as you, James. Uh, I think that the hysteria online about this, I think that uh, a lot of people that have come out, I think they're missing the bigger picture here. I think this is this is a partial, this is a foundation. Um, this is a foundation part of of the announcement that, yes, we, we all wanted to have the national second tier sort of up and running as far as, you know, being functional and whatnot. But... Uh, yeah, this is this, these are the eight foundation teams. Doesn't mean this is going to be the eight teams that we're going to kick off. If it was if it was decided to kick off in 2024, then there was always going to be there's always going to be trouble. But uh, yeah, I think this is like I said, this, these are the, this, these eight teams are the bedrock of the of the new league, and uh, there'll, there'll be more be added. I, I think that uh, what it does tell me that perhaps that. Um, the criteria may have been a little bit too much, or a little bit too expensive for a number of these other clubs um, that that weren't included to, to meet. So I think they'll go back and um, and and, re- and revisit. But uh, these are the eight that we'll start start with, and uh, they'll they'll build a league from here. You know, being that, and we always knew that it was going to be a New South Wales Victorian dominated uh, league. And let's, let's not be, let's not kid ourselves. That's where the money is. That's where. At least amount of travel was going to be, but uh, yeah, look, I I do agree that yeah, if the next if the next two to four clubs also come from Victoria and New South Wales, then people, the fans, rightfully 
will be, will be there to sort of you know really sort of you know slam down, and, and so they should because you can't stick the word national in front of something and only have two states involved. Can I two put cities my, really? Yeah, yeah. Can I put my tinfoil hat on for a few minutes here? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. That, that was a question, actually. <laughs> but, um, I was just thinking. No, I'm not going to allow it. Sorry. Well, that's why you're the weekend host, and I'm the weekday host. Anyway, um, I'm going. I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on and say, is is it entirely possible that, given the weight of the bids were from New South Wales and Victoria, and Football Australia has, I suppose, been accused of dragging their heels a little bit and maybe not being as transparent or open as some might like with it do you think it's possible that they just went look we've got a lot of bids from new south wales and victoria we don't want to delay the announcement anymore let's just get these uh two states sorted to get a starting point and then we'll deal with the rest of the country in that second round of uh bidding is that entirely possible like it's possible also they've got eight teams now so you could almost run three times eight as a league if they absolutely had to and they couldn't find anybody else to be involved you could get that off the ground it wouldn't be the most exciting league for the whole country it would be great in sydney and melbourne but as a base point it gives you something to work with and now they have they'll look to add a couple of teams probably as you said adelaide brisbane somewhere maybe gold coast or sunshine coast and maybe a hobart on top of that to get to 12 teams and have a, a national component i think that's what they'll look to do but as a base point now, they've got something they can work with in 2025 to launch a league. What, yeah, but that's what also... I was going to say, what it comes down to as well is that, could you imagine if, if Football Australia said to everyone, uh, look, we've only got eight teams, therefore we're going to postpone saying anything until we until January, February next year. There would be a riot. So, look, I, I can't fault Football Australia for at least trying to meet that deadline and saying, especially when they put it out there, that this league will not start in 2024. Because if it did, we're, we're in big trouble getting this league off the ground. But, uh, but yeah, I, I still think time is on on everyone's side. And, and yeah, but I, I will add also one point that, that really sort of has annoyed me a little bit, is that, especially for those here up in Queensland... Don't believe everything you hear on social media from down south about, the, especially the attacks on Football Queensland and their part in this. Look, you know, again, again, it's a case of, look, we don't always agree with Football Queensland the way they do things and run things from, from time to time. But but this whole this whole nonsense about, oh, that it's Football Queensland they're holding up, they're holding up because of their, their issues with, uh, with, with their regulations and whatnot. Look, that's like I said, people are just taking that as as little literal context and saying that oh that this is the reason why. That, that's not re- the reason why at all. You know, some clubs will, will use that as oh, a reason that why they're being stifled. But also look at the fact is that there was a set criteria that none of us know, and there's only a few people out there that actually could confirm what and actually whether they can do it. Considering there's a non-disclosure uh, clause there. That you know that they, they could mean so using that excuse that oh football Queensland and 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 their management is the reason why there are no Queensland teams in this tranche of eight. I think that's misleading. So don't use don't let the Southerners and their agendas you know try and talk you otherwise. At least form your own opinion and understand the full picture. I actually did hear that it was football Queensland fault 
Football Queensland's fault that there were no teams from Tasmania, South Australia, Western Australia, uh, Northern yep. Territory, and also why uh, their fault that there was no teams from uh, Singapore, Bali. They scuppered my fake as Kaysher Spartans did as well. <laughs> we don't even exist and they scuppered that. But, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Adam, as well. Like From the discussions that we've had with people around there as well, there were plenty of clubs here that competitively, football-wise, would have... I would say been in the mix in the second division with the sides that have gotten in today, but they've said for one reason or another, just it, it's not for us right now. I know there are a couple of clubs that basically, and this is not a direct quote, I'm not attributing it to anyone, but basically just said when they bring in promotion and relegation, we'll just win our way in. We're, we're between the three of us, and this is for anyone that wants to doubt what we're saying that we're not full of crap, is that we've spoken to seven different club presidents or general managers up here in this state. And it, it, it is universal about, about you know, so their, their thoughts on national security. I'm not going to repeat what was said or I'm going to give away who was said. So you can guess all you want. All I'm saying is that just to, to pin the blame on Football Queensland and some and, and whatever's in the rules of, rules of competition relating to, at the time, a non-existent hypothetical competition... And then to try and blame them for, for, for them you know, for being no Queensland teams represented in this stage, I think is a, is a lie. And quite frankly, don't believe all you're hearing from down south and their agendas. All I will say on that is, like o- over the last few years, we, we do know there has been some issues with football Queensland, at least trials by media in the way that they do things. Um, I, I would just like to, I suppose, counter that by saying, you know, there are some clubs up here that have been saying they've had a guaranteed national second division spot since 2020, even before these uh, requests for proposals came out, which, you know, how's that working out for them? But, yeah, if you're going to make those claims, you really need to back it up because I'm looking at the list and I don't see those clubs there as well. So it is possible that there are multiple sides to the story mm. here as well. And... Again, I'm not going to absolve FQ of blame, but I'm also not going to say that this is their fault because, again, as you just pointed out, we only we only have part of the picture. In some cases, we've got pretty much the whole picture, but in others, there's still a lot that still needs to be resolved. Speaking of things that still need to be resolved, uh, there are statements from Brisbane United, Gold Coast United and Sunshine Coast Fire, all of whom have basically, I would say followed the same template of we still want to be involved uh, we're going to work with the federations to make that happen it feels like Brisbane United has the best chance because of Perry Park and because of the fact that they seem to be the best prepared one however and I'm going to ask this question to move into our next news story as well knowing that the A-League wants to expand to 16 teams for season 2025-26 if you're a Brisbane uh, club president or a Southeast Queensland club president, so Scott, if you're running Acacia Ridge, um, Adam, if you're running oh, whatever the mayor of Moreton Bay uh, runs up there, <laughs> so however many clubs you've got up there, would you consider, knowing what we've been told about the costs that are likely to be involved with the NSD, would it be worth almost double dipping saying, all right, we're still going to go for the NSD licence, but if we're going to spend a couple of extra million and go for an A-League licence, 
is it worth double dipping? Scott, I'll go to you first because Adam's been talking for a lot, uh, a fair bit lately. He has been talking for a fair bit lately. I'll give him a break. But in, it all depends <laughs> on what the extra cost is, right? I mean, the NSD is one cost. We've seen those prices. The A-League sounds like it could be significantly higher than that. Do Brisbane United or the Case Street Spartans, as I've made up today, or whatever club Adam wants to run, have, do they have the funding to actually go for an A-League? Or is it is it a maximum for them of a national second division? That's the what you have to work out because I think Brisbane United would be a really good A-League expansion opportunity if that was what they wanted to do. We've seen they put out over the in that statement that they've got the support of the Lord Mayor Adrian Schrinner and some other political support as well. So they've got that backing behind them in terms of if they get in, they have plans to do something at Perry Park. I don't know what that looks like in their vision, but if that's the case, having his support behind that could be very valuable. But James, it all depends. Do they have the the capital behind them to get a full A-League license because it may very well be a very different funding model that Brisbane United or whoever it is would have to put together to do that so I think it depends on what they can achieve but I think they would be the most likely and probably best option for a second division at the moment because I think you have to have it's got to be based in Brisbane right I mean people in Brisbane as much as we love our football are probably not going to get behind a Sunshine Coast team or a Gold Coast team as our team in the National Second Division. So I think having it here in Brisbane and having a second one on either coast would be for the best. But in terms of what Brisbane United should do, it's what they can afford. And we just don't have any information on that. It seems like they not haven't said anything about the A-League and their eyes are solely on the National Second Division. So I'll guess that's, that's the direction they're going to go. Yep, and that's kind of what... Well, Brisbane United, I feel like, is going to have that issue there as well and I, I, I'm happy to get on board with any Brisbane club that wants to um, wants to try and put their hand in the ring because we also that's know... That's not true. You were rubbishing my Acacia Root Spartans bid the other day. You said that was absolutely horrendous so don't say you're behind every club. Seen Look, when I take over a, lately? When, when hey, I take we don't a, play there. That's that's that other Acacia Root <laughs> team. We're, don't associate us with them. We're a different club. Oh no, ground share. When I become the emperor of the Greater Brisbane region, I'm going to uh, annex Acacia Ridge. Aww. <laughs> um, but yeah, in, in all seriousness, so on this as well, because there were bids or discussions of bids from Brisbane City, Olympic, um, and was there... There was one other one from uh, the Brisbane area as well, wasn't there? Or am I imagining that? Okay, you both oh, got well, if, you can't, if you can't count Peninsula Power, but they got they they got knocked out pretty early in the piece. You definitely can't blame Football Queensland for that one. But um, but yeah, and also as well, don't forget Gold Coast Knights. Who uh, that's it, yeah, yeah. Which um, look, it's a, just to answer your question, James. It's it's a very uh, interesting sort of thought about you know whether the, the drive to national second division, you know, versus you know potentially. Um, Potentially, that that the APL have pretty much said that the, the that team fifteen or sixteen will come from southeast Queensland. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what comes up. But uh, as I think we're we're about to move on to the other the other story, I think that uh, you're going to need a lot more deeper pockets than what uh, the majority of these bids uh, if in in um, that that are vying for the natural second division are going to need to actually get a uh, get get a full license. Just about transitioning to that next topic, James. Two other things: the A League does have a team in Brisbane. They may not necessarily want a second team right in the middle of Brisbane. They may want a more 
regional team on one of the coasts. That might be something they have to look at as well. And also the other thing is, we know that we'll get to a minute, but Auckland is coming in next year in the men's competition. We think Canberra might be the next one off the off the cap off the rank after that. We don't know when Canberra is coming in, let alone team 15 or 16. So there's no time frame yet on when that when that 15th or 16th A-League team will come in. So at this point, that's something that's well down the track in terms of thinking. So maybe it might be a case of get yourself into the National Second Division, build up a, a supporter base and a brand and some following and, and maybe be a capital behind you and then pro, then jump from there into the A-League. That might be also what teams are considering because there's no timetable on that. That could be 2027. It could be 2035. We've got no idea when... Gaelic will actually even get to 15 teams, so that's all, that could be a long way down the track. So you can't necessarily say, "Oh, in two years that's going to come up," because it may not happen. I'm pretty confident that there was a timetable put on teams 15 and 16 in the, in the A League. I, from memory here, and I probably could have looked this up while you were talking, but uh, the best ideas come about 20 seconds too late in my experience. Uh, I think you're going to... I think uh, there was an announcement that Canberra and Auckland were going to come in for 24-25 to keep the competition balanced at 14 teams. And the following season, you're going to get teams 15 and 16 uh, to coincide with the start of the new broadcast deal and to increase the inventory that they would be able to offer uh, potential bidders because, well, from a broadcast perspective, they've got two years to try and find ways to increase their value and adding more games in is one way to do that because things haven't gone great with 10 and Paramount or in the last few years of Fox Sports. So, yeah. Uh, I'm, did you happen to look that up, Scott? Or can I, I did. One that, I looked up very, very quickly. There was a quote from the now departed Danny Townsend saying they wanted two new teams for 2014-15. So that's not going to happen now. So it may very well be a more staggered approach than what they initially hoped. Well, I suppose if they announce Canberra in the next little while, they could have a team up and running by October yeah. couldn't they yeah no. possibly but you're leaving yeah. it very late but go ahead yeah oh, and I was just saying that uh, yeah that was my recollection but you're right with Danny Townsend uh, now gone um, yeah given that uh, given that we don't have a grand final sold to Sydney anymore that's how easily uh, things can change in for the APL so um, so yeah I, I think it, but definitely and I'm probably stealing James's job here but I think we should probably move on to A-League expansion and the news today. Well, actually, I was about to move on to that because the A-Leagues did announce that Bill Foley's uh, bid is going to be uh, taking control of the Auckland licence for Team 13 in the A-League, which is pretty cool because he does own, was it Bournemouth and the Vegas Golden Knights in the NHL. And my favourite moment of the press conference, uh, guys, was when he said... um, when we win the A-League, everyone's going to get a championship ring and showed off his Stanley Cup uh, ring <laughs> from last season as well, which was a, a very, very cool move. Kind of like uh, Clive Palmer, just more likable by the sounds of it. Oh, don't bring up that. He, don't do that. He said something similar, didn't he? He Not said they were going, they were to, going go to fly around on a private jet and all the rest of it. He said they were going to get a ring when they won the league. I'm sure he's something like that. He said they were going to go unbeaten in their first season and teach those A-League clubs how to play the soccer. <laughs> the <Or> soccer. <laughs> that does sound like what he would say, actually. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I said it before about uh, Deep Pockets. Um, yeah, Bill Foley is worth, I just looked this up for, and his entertainment group, $1.6 billion 
US dollars. So this is the sort of money that is coming into the league with this uh, with this license today. So I, I don't know of too many um, of of uh, anyone that's interested in a football club in this country you know, has that sort of money and the sort of resources uh, that uh, that Bill Foley has. And uh, yeah, the fact is that a multi-sport owner, uh, said Vegas Golden Knights in the NHL, uh, Bournemouth, and a sizable stake in League Un Club FC Lorient. Uh, look, I think this is a very, very good. Um, this is a good, good get as far as uh, a license holder for uh, a future A-League club. And this has been sort of semi-announced in the news a few weeks ago, and I'm pretty sure I've already made this joke, but I'm recycling it, and frankly, I don't care. Um, but that's how you get ahead these days. Uh, I'm going to uh, really look forward to what they do with the pregame entertainment for the. Auckland FC, Auckland Knights, whatever they're going to be called, uh, pre-game entertainment, because if you've seen what they do for Las Vegas games uh, over in the NHL, that's a pretty high bar across the, uh, across the league. So I'm, I'm looking forward to some sort of wacky production for every single Auckland home game. Scott? Yeah, well, we've seen what Las Vegas can do over the weekend in terms of wacky presentation and all the rest of it at the F1. So they certainly expect some of that. I will say, just that names, colours and home game will all be announced shortly. I do hope they actually engage with the Auckland football public on that as well, so that it is does feel like from day one it's their club just as much as Phil Foley's club. I hope he doesn't just come in and say, right, we're going to be called the Auckland Knights and we're going to wear black and gold because that's what my, my um, NHL team wears over in Las Vegas. I hope that's not what he does. I hope they engage with the Auckland public about what they would like as well and come together and find a nice mix of what they both would like. I think you have to take the public with you on day one. And again, I said this on the show, talk about recycling, James. I said this on the show as well. What what the A-League did with Western Sydney Wanderers in setting up that club with the name, the colours and all the rest of it was a big part of their success in the first season in addition to what they did on the field. And they made it their club from day one. I think that's what you have to do when you're creating an A-League club at this point. You, have, you can't just come in and impose exactly what you want. You have, to, you have to engage the public and find out what they want as well. Uh, just quickly on that as well, I, I, I know when I consider Auckland, Vegas, Auckland, Vegas, pretty much the same thing, so I'd be trying to mirror that as much as possible. Right, Adam? Yeah, I was just, just going to say about that as well, and the, the one thing about Bill Foley is that um, that it's not like he's just a fly-by-night uh, that American that's as a side, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pluck pluck a license out for, for Auckland. He actually does have uh, roots to New Zealand and, and Auckland as well. Uh, that uh, the uh, his, his group of businesses does employ over 500 uh, Kiwis and uh, has a number of uh, a number of businesses there, including wine and food. So, so yeah, so I think this is more than just a rich guy coming in and and oh, I'm going to buy a license because uh, the A League, the APL begged him for it. I think that uh, there's, I think that he does have a connection with the, with the city and and with the country, and I think that can only be a good thing. And uh, I know that I'm not sure how I haven't read how. Um, the, the club down the road, the existing incumbent club down the road, going to um, gonna take us. But to be honest, I'm actually very, very excited. I think that, uh, look, we, we, we have you know, in the past, in the deep past, had had a shot at uh, at Wellington Phoenix about about the way that they've done things. But look, there's, since David Dome's taken over there um, in that consortium, they, they have done they've done such wonderful things. And I, I cannot wait to see the first New Zealand derby because I think... Uh, Just before you... Go ahead, so just before you jump in, James. Adam, 
just do you want to clarify this? Uh, we've all had a shot at Wellington's existence in the A-League. Would you like to clarify that for, for us, please? Uh, two-thirds of us, anyway. Thank you. Yeah, well, now that they've got some local competition, bring it on. Mm. Uh, but That first derby is going to be electric. Yeah. I can already picture it. And I will give credit to whoever's running the uh, Nixon Perth Glory uh, social accounts as well, because they've already had a bit of fun with that today. Um, (laughs) Someone someone posted, um, yeah, isn't Auckland technically further than Perth and Wellington? Did Auckland just steal a distance derby? And the Wellington Phoenix account responded, this is like that time when mum comes home with that younger sibling you didn't ask for. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, shots fired on day one. I can't wait. It's actually good that we're actually talking uh, the A League in such you know a, pos- a positive light as far as yeah you know, excitement for the future. That uh, I think having the the, the twelve teams uh, and I know Western United come in and MacArthur come, but yeah, you know, to be honest, they've been a little bit underwhelming as far as you know, what they've added to the league. It's just like that they, they're not there to make up the numbers as such on the pitch, but I mean, it, it seems to be sort of, oh, it's an, in the end, it's another Melbourne team. Oh, it's another Sydney team. We it hasn't to, really added extra no, derbies to the occasion, has it? No, but uh, well, I think Auckland and Wellington, I think uh, that will be a derby that'd be worth interesting. And look, I actually agree that, uh, yeah, the distance derby just became a, um, I reckon it just became a tri-series. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, now, we should probably keep this moving if we're going to keep this to under an hour because uh, we've got to talk about this weekend's double header at Suncorp Stadium. The men are in action against Perth Glory as they return from the international break. 2pm kickoff Brisbane time before the women have the later kickoff. This is the first time that the three of us can remember that the women have been the second act in the double header. And uh, we'll be there for that 4:45 kickoff as the Raw Women take on Adelaide United, and this is also a special Indigenous doubleheader with the Raw unveiling their uh, black Indigenous-themed kit that both the men's and women's teams will be wearing on Sunday. Uh, so let's start with the men because chronologically they kick off first. Scott, your yep. thoughts on it? Well, they didn't play at the weekend, so they've had a bit of time to freshen up, and hopefully that some of the niggling injuries that they've had around the team are, maybe we might get some players back. I think that might be the thing to keep an eye on the most in terms of... We know that it was all hands on deck in that game down there in Central Coast a week ago, and a great performance down there, and now they've got two back-to-back home games, James. This game on Sunday, and then they've got the Friday game. I think it's Western Sydney at home the following week at home, and two games back-to-back in, in five days. If they could win both of those games they could really set their season up for a really, really successful year if they can get six points on, on the table out of those. So two games at home, it's it's exciting. I hope it's a good crowd there for that doubleheader on Sunday. It's the first time they've had a doubleheader for a very long time. I think what would have been 2017, 18 might be the last time. Four years, thank you, since they've last had a doubleheader. No, at Suncorp. Anyway, at Suncorp. Four, at Suncorp. Suncorp. A doubleheader at Suncorp. They had the one at, a couple up at Dolphins a couple of years ago. But yeah, four years since at Suncorp and... Hopefully it's a good crowd down there for this one. This is a bit different with the men playing first and the women following on second. So hopefully it's a good crowd. And with the men's game, it's a great opportunity, as I said, to continue on a bit of momentum, maybe get a couple of players back and, and really, really kickstart the season off to a good start. And just on that as well, um, the 2pm kickoff, this game is also on 10 bold as well if you are unable to make it. But hopefully uh, you'll be in the stands at Suncorp on the shaded side because... 
Well, it's late November in southeast Queensland. It's going to be a bit muggy. With this weather can... at the moment, or the whole stadium could be in shade with the weather we've got at the moment. Very, very true. Um, Adam, expecting any changes for this one? Uh, not, not at this stage. I think that uh, the international break has probably allowed uh, both both um, the Raw and Perth Glory to sort of maybe get get a few players back to you know almost 100. Uh, percent Though there, obviously there's a number of players uh, that will be missing long term from the Raw still. Uh, Jack Hingard, I don't I don't think is still about a month away uh, from from um, being back. So same with uh, Louis Zabala. So, but uh, I think Jonas Markovsky might be okay to. Well, that's what we heard that uh, he, his injury was a, a couple of weeks thing. Yeah, you know, after the ahead of the Central Coast game, so uh, I, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll know more when the, these squads come out on Thursday. Yes, that is true. Now on to actually, Scott, you've got a stat question for us, haven't you? I do. So there's been a very long time since Perth have played at Suncorp Stadium against Bruce. And what, when was it? What happened the last time they played this game? I'm. I think I've got this one. This was a Perth. 4-2 win where Aaron Reardon came off the bench after a red card and scored an own goal? It was. I was going to be kind to Aaron Reardon say it was a game where Newcastle Kenny scored a brace, but if you want to bring up his unfortunate own goal, we will. But yes, that is the game round. It was round 12 of 2018-19. Adam Tag actually got a brace for the Raw as well in the game. Might have been almost his last game before he headed off overseas. So, yeah, it was been a very long time since they played at Suncorp Stadium. Five years. Oh, the only reason I remember that game is because that was Darren Davies uh, in charge at that point in time. That was just after John Aloisi had left from memory. And I think that was that, it was that game where I kind of realised just, oh, this is going to be a, a long run home, isn't it? That that, that uh, change in manager is not going to produce the run to the finals like it had in the past with um, some of the other departures as well. So, anyway, on to the women. Changes for Palmer it was and actually Darren, Sorry, it was actually Darren Davies' first home game in charge. There we go. E- either way, that was uh, where I to channel Krusty, Krusty the Clown. Ugh, stick around, kids. we got some great commercials coming up at halftime. <laughs> All right. Uh, the we women's game. Football football is... for that? I hope not. <laughs> I, I don't think any of the Disney lawyers are listening to us. Um now, uh, Palmer and Blissett, if they're out for the women, how do the Raw look to cover that? Adam? Oh, that's, a, that's a good question because uh, they're very, very uh, slim pickings as far as fullbacks as is. You lose, you lose a specialist fullback in Chelsea Blissett. I think it's going to be either makeshift or they're, they're going to double down on three centre-backs centre and... Uh, Oh, look, to be honest, I don't even know who they could probably put it at it right back going going forward. So, so yeah, so that's going to be a very, that's a big blow uh, to to cover up. Uh, also, I think uh, I think Tamiki Art does come in and pro starts for Holly Palmer. That also will cause a little bit of a shuffle in midfield. But uh, that that blizzard loss is going to be that's going to be a tough one to cover because they were already struggling to cover that um, that full, that fullback position. Scott? This is a really tough one because it's, it's an interesting one because you can go two different ways. You can say, okay, with one of the wing-backs unavailable, go to a back four and play Tegan Thompson as a left-back and play Holly McQueen as a right-back. But then you, need, then you need to find two midfielders. I mean, you've got Holly Palmer injured. Yeah, Tamiki Yelp can come in and replace her, but then you've got 
a case of you need to find a second midfielder. Is Sarah O'Donoghue ready to start in middle of midfield? Perhaps, maybe you could go with that. Or you stick with the back three and maybe put Beck Kirkup as a right wing back. They might be your two choices. I think Adam's right that um, Tamika Gallup will replace Holly Palmer. That one makes sense and kind of is like a bit, bit more like for like. It's how they cover the Chelsea Plissett injury. She's not there at the weekend. That could be the most interesting to see how Alex Smith goes about that. If he is considering changing the formation long term, this might be the, the catalyst for him to be able to do that. But also as well, we've got to remember uh, Mariel Hacker doesn't appear to be too far away as well. Uh, I'd see um, her do laps of Ballymore uh, before before uh, the, the crowd came in on on Sunday, so she said, look, she was uh, running so freely enough, so uh, I think it might be, she might be a couple of weeks away, and that will at least, you know, be a very decent reinforcement, but uh, look, I, I think it might be, this might be too soon, uh, again, we don't know until the Thursday uh, squads drop, uh, but, but yeah, I think that, um, yeah, the defence especially, I, yeah, it, it could be any number of ways to, to figure out how they get, how they're going to replace Chelsea Blissett. Yeah, absolutely. And they might need a short-term injury replacement as well if Chelsea Plissett or Holly Palmer are unavailable for a couple of weeks. Because don't forget, Grace Kulama is also out for the year as well. So this is so three players in the squad who are unavailable for at least at least this week. And we'll see how long it is until Holly and Chelsea can get back. We will have to see what they do. Scott, do you want to wrap us up with another one of your patented stat questions? I do. So not only is this the first time since they played Perth Glory at Suncorp in a long time, it's the first time since they played Adelaide United at Suncorp for a long time in the women's. What happened last time, James? I don't know. I was hoping Adam would be able to jump in with this answer. Uh, yeah, what? I can't... Uh, I can't remember last time they... That, that Adelaide... That the uh, the formerly known as the Lady Reds played at, at, uh, at Suncorp Stadium... I'm pretty sure it okay. was a raw win, but... Uh, it was a raw yeah. win. It was a 1-0 win, and it was one of the World Cup Matildas who got the late, late winner to secure a 1-0 win. Was it Tamika at the time, but now Yal? No. No. Okay. Was it... Uh, oh! That, was it that's Real your Mad- guess out the way, James. Was it, is yeah, it Real I, Madrid's I, fa- favourite winger that got the winner? It, it was Real Madrid's favourite winger, Hayley Razzo. That's... Was I don't remember the, anything about it other than the fact that that's it what... It was a late winner. I'd actually, it was you know very, what? very late. I, do, I actually do remember that goal now. I've got vague memories mm. of it as well, in that I think it was the first half of a double header, and it was stinking yeah. hot that day, which, actually, come to think of it, doesn't really narrow it down. Because I think it was a Friday of, as well, like a really early Friday afternoon game in a double header. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. How about that blast from the past? All right. That is going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you, Scott. Good to talk to you again, James. Adam, see you on the weekend. Thank you, Adam. Thank you and good night. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, We will hopefully see you out at Suncorp on Sunday afternoon for the men's and women's doubleheader. And we'll be back next week to recap it all. And we might have some more National Second Division news to sink our teeth into by then. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening. Have a good weekend and enjoy the football.